Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, no matter where in this wonderful world you might be. Thank you once again for making the Highbury Squad part of your day. Here we go. It's a new week. It's a blank canvas. Let's paint pictures. Let's tell stories. And I couldn't think of a better person to kick off the week with. Mind the gap between the train and the platform. Please stand clear of the discussion doors. The next stop is Highbury Squad. Good evening, good afternoon, good morning, everyone. Uh, welcome back to Squad Central. It's a fine Monday, and joining me is my favourite, always. Super classy, the podfather himself, the silky voice, Mr. Andrew Mangan, aka to everyone in the Guna Universe Ask blog. Welcome back. Hi, Sophie. How are you? Hello, everyone watching. Hope you're I'm all good. feeling good. I'm good. I think my heart has calmed down just a little bit, just a tad. Mm. How's your heart doing this fine Monday? It's it's okay, but like you yesterday, there were moments where I thought, uh, yeah, it might burst out of my chest a bit. You know, when we got to like the ninth minute of injury time, I was thinking, oh, the only time I can remember an Arsenal game going that far into injury time before was, do you remember the game against Liverpool where I think we got a penalty in the 92nd minute and then Liverpool got a penalty in about 110 minutes. I think uh, Emmanuel Abue fouled Lucas. Lucas. Dirk Coit scored the penalty in like the... 112 minutes in so yeah i was having a few flashbacks on on something like that particularly <laughs> after what we went through with the the gabrielle bamford incident and everything else but look we got there in the end it's good to be good to be top of the charts we did and uh putting up everyone's uh comments good evening squaddies remiss of me when super kev is not here i lose all my manners but you will be hearing from super kevin just uh, a second uh, of course thank you to our good friends over at zenith coins for being our partner this season don't forget, it's the gift that keeps on giving. It's the holiday season. Pop over to zenithcoins.com. You'll see the link in the description. You can get 25% off your beautiful Arsenal coin and your mates will appreciate and love it. And of course, the Highbury squad is giving away their coin to good folks this holiday season too. Don't forget to write us at uh, the Highbury squad at Gmail so you can nominate someone who you think is deserving of this wonderful gift. And by the way, because you are an epic human, and you were one of the first podcasters ever, and also one of the first um, people in the community to embrace me and support me. We would love to gift you, Mr. Askblog, yourself a coin for this holiday season because you're just wonderful and you've done so many amazing things for us Arsenal fans, and your voice is so important. And I just wanted to say thank you. And so I'm gifting the first coin to you. Thank you so much. That's very generous of you. I will gladly accept. Okay, amazing. Right, let's get stuck into the football. Sure. Should we start with the legend that is Super Kev, and then we can go mm. from there? Um, he's in. Uh, he was in Malaysia covering a whole bunch of games for Stadium Astro, and even when he's not here, he's here, everyone. So here's a little message from Super Kev for everyone. Sophie, Ask Blog, Squaddies, hope you're well, at ease. Um, I hope you're all well, and... Uh, you're having a good day. Sorry I can't be there. I'm in transit, traveling at the moment. So, I've got a question. What was the most pleasing 
thing about the victory against Leeds? That's question one. What was the most pleasing thing? Question number two, why is there so much negativity and we got three points? I thought we kept our cool. I thought there were incidents in the game where we could have lost it, but as a team, we stuck together. Seen it happen so many times and we got the job done, SAS style. Get in, get the, get the job done and get out. So what's your thoughts on, on that? Great to be four points clear. Look after yourself, everyone. Take good care. Sorry, I can't be with you, as I said. I've been transit. I'm on the way back to the UK. All right, Super Kev with his two questions. Pick it up, Andrew. Take it from the top. What was the most pleasing thing? I suppose that, like, even when we didn't play particularly well, we produced a moment of real quality to punish Leeds and, and score a goal. And there'll be a lot of focus on Bakayo Saka's finish, and rightly so, because it's absolutely superb. But the way that Arsenal react to that ridiculous pass across field from Rodrigo is <laughs> is is just excellent. You know, I, I think we were we were more in the game in the first half, obviously, than in the second. But as soon as Saka sees that that ball is not going to get to where it's going to go, he wins the header. Odegaard reacts super quickly as well. He starts to sprint towards the ball. Saka moves, plays the pass, scores the goal. And ultimately, that that wins us the game. And I think maybe that is the, the most pleasing thing from an Arsenal perspective, is that we were still capable on a day when we were well below par of, of producing something like that, which can win a game. The other thing I might say that, that's pleasing, that I didn't really expect to be saying at any point is the the fact that VAR got the big decisions right um you know it's it's a, it's been a technology or the implementation of that technology has frustrated me at times but I think yesterday even if I do think we got a little bit fortunate with the Bamford one I think it was a bit soft that that early goal um for the most part, they got those big decisions right, you know. Um, and from a Leeds perspective too, I suppose the, you know, they'd say the penalty that they were awarded um, was a good decision for them. But but when it came down to it in the last minute, when the referee had sent Gabriel off, given him a red card and awarded a penalty to Leeds, VAR was there to correct that mistake. And it was a mistake. There was no two ways about it. The linesman and the, the referee got that one wrong. So, um, I won't say VAR got us out of jail, but it's nice when the technology works for you. Andrew, were you one of many who was so frustrated at the, you know, um, false start, if you like, and said, look, we've played football before. We don't need technology. Let's just get on with the game. <laughs> I saw my podcasting partner, James, uh, from Gunnerblog tweeted exactly that. He said something like, if only there was some precedent of football being refereed without technology. And we could have done it. It could have happened, I suppose. Um, but then what would have been the outcome from an Arsenal perspective? Um, mm -hmm. I don't know. It's 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 something we're all having to contend with. You know, one week you absolutely hate VAR. The next week you're thanking your lucky stars that it exists and it worked as well as it did yesterday. So 
I don't know what the solution is here, but you know, for now, I'm I'm pretty happy, and uh, particularly when the referee on VAR, you know, uh, at Stockley Park, Paul Tierney is somebody who I didn't necessarily expect to do us any favors. Let's uh, wrap up on the pleasing thing before we get to the second part of Kev's question. Mm. Um, I was reading a piece by Michael Cox in the Athletic today, and. I was chatting to Aaron on BBC Radio London and, you know, everyone's having this conversation about resilience versus luck. And Mm. Michael Cox was very hard on us on the resilience part. Where do you stand in between those two um, topics, if you like? I mean, he he talked about how we did nothing well and we didn't really, apart from Saka's Mm. goal. There was very little to champion about how we played. But do you think it was a mix of both or do you lean towards one versus the other? I definitely think it's a mix of both. You know, I, I think I read Michael's piece today and it was good. You know, Arsenal did get a bit lucky. Bamford missed the penalty. You know, if it had gone 1-1 on the R mark, Leeds were already well on top. If you give them even more wind in their sails, you know, as difficult as the last part of that game was, imagine what it would have been like if we were at 1-1 and you know a goal is going to cost you any points in the game. Um, so we were hanging on. But I also think that when you look at some of the performances, some of the defensive performances, you look at some of the defensive stats, like these guys worked hard. Um, Gabriel blocked four shots. That's really, um, you don't see that very often. You don't see a central defender or any defender for that matter, blocking four shots in one game and making lots of tackles as as he did. So I think it is a mix. You know, there are going to be days where it doesn't go your way. And there are going to be days when you get a bit of a, a rub of the green, as they say. And that was true yesterday. You know, Leeds didn't take their chances. They had a brilliant chance in the last minute of normal time, which the guy put over the bar. The way he reacted to it, you can see uh, he sort of throws himself. It's like a platoon. <laughs> um, you know, he's like, ah. Uh, he knew he should have scored. Um, so on that basis, yes, we did get a bit of luck. But also I think that we worked very hard to try and um, keep Leeds at bay on a day when, look, if we were looking at it, and we all knew that the performance wasn't up to scratch. The players out on the pitch knew that as well. I think Aaron Ramsdale mm-hmm. said it uh, straight away afterwards. He said that was not good enough today. We weren't, you know, at the levels that we're we're normally at. But you know, it wasn't that they just sat back and let it happen. They they really did um, defend as well as they could. And on that basis, I, I, I lean more towards like it being a mix of the two. Although the point about us getting some luck, you know, you can't argue against that. But you need it. You get it. You, you, it happens over the course of a season. There's going to be a day when, you know, we don't have any luck at all. And that's going to sting. So we we sometimes um, can overanalyze things a little bit um, on that basis. But look, uh, I'm happy. And I think on the, you know, when you look at how well we've played for most of this season, pretty much every game we've played this season in the Premier League, we've played well. Even the one at Man United when we lost, we didn't get any luck that day, did we? When when the Martinelli goal was disallowed. So swings and roundabouts. Yeah, I was going to bring that up, actually, because it feels like Arsenal are damned if they do and they're damned if they don't. We play mm. lights out football at Old Trafford. We lose the game. Um, we talked about naivety on the show. feel like we're learning as we're going and we've actually grown from that match uh, because I think it was... When we, get, when we went into the Tottenham game, yes, we were adventurous and we played our football, but we weren't playing a super high line. We were much more disciplined. It felt like Arteta and the team learned from that. 
And mm. then we have an ugly, a win, you know, winning ugly is kind of beautiful, as I like to say, game against Leeds. And it's lucky Arsenal. What, what's your what's your take on that narrative in terms of, because I feel like, wow, we play lights out, we lose. We play ugly, we win. Three points at the end of the day is the most important thing. Spurs won. Mm. Chelsea are kind of finding their feet against uh, Graham Potter. Where's, what, what's your stance on, on that? I just think it's that's the way football goes sometimes, that there are going to be days when you play really well and you just don't make the most of, of your performance. And I think the Man United game is a perfect example of that. You know, we did play the better football, but obviously we, we got sucker punched a little bit there. And, um, you know, people, um, people will talk about how, you know, that's a flaw from an Arsenal perspective. When you play that well, you should win. You shouldn't let a team like Manchester United in the kind of funk that they were in back then, you shouldn't let them win. But, you know, it's just football, you know, as, as hard as you, as hard as you try, as much as you put in the effort, um, they're, they're just days when it's not going to click and it never really clicked for Arsenal yesterday at Leeds. And I do think as well that in the, in the discussion or the narrative, if you like about Arsenal being a little bit lucky, one of the things that doesn't get mentioned is that, you know, we played a game on Thursday, on Thursday night in Norway the team didn't get back to London until until mm -hmm. Friday afternoon. So they, you know, what did they do then? They had a bit of a warm down, maybe a bit of physio, whatever it was. They have a light session on Saturday morning, travel to Leeds on Saturday, and then play a game on Sunday. So there was literally no time to prepare, you know, and Leeds had all week to prepare. And that's that that was a factor, I think. There was an element of fatigue. And just the fact that we had been traveling, we'd been playing in midweek, as much as Mikel Arteta tried to manage the minutes of the first team players that he played, you know, we've seen it time and time again. You know, you've seen it. The best Arsenal team that we ever saw, you know, could go away in Europe in the Champions League and, and get a good result, but then come back in the Premier League and struggle on the, the, the Saturday or the Sunday, you know. So it's it's just part and parcel of football. And I think when you have days like that, if you can come away with three points, whether you deserve them or not, you should be thankful. And, uh, you know, considering what happened elsewhere in the league this season, I think we should be very, or uh, yeah, on Sunday, rather, I, I think we have to be thankful because it's uh, it turned out to be a great day from an Arsenal perspective. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, Super Kev is in chat. Hi, Sophie. Ask blog and squaddies. I hope you're well. Healthy and buzzing. We're clear at the top in between his transit. Hello, Super Kev. Uh, thanks for popping in. The second part of his question, Andrew, was about, mm. you know, why are some people being negative? And it, it feels like our Twitter sphere is, you know, what is it? Maybe it's a small percentage of the fan base of a fan base that is in its millions globally, right? Mm. Um, would love, and I've been wanting to have this conversation with you on, I'm a firm believer in people can voice their opinions as long as, of course, they're not abusive, misogynistic, racist, all of the horrible, sure. horrible things that we see in this universe. Um, a lot of fans coming out of that. I did a show on on right after and a couple of people said, oh, you're being negative. And it's like I wasn't being negative. I actually said I don't care if Saka did nothing else in the game. He scored a winning goal. Gabriel, I felt, was pushed into a situation where he felt an injustice. Therefore, he retaliated because he knew he was fouled. Hence why he got a little hot-headed in that moment, but we'll talk about him later. What's uh -huh. your take on the negative part and uh, Kev's uh, second question? I think you have to be able to separate, um, or, or throughout a season, you have to be able to discuss things in isolation, right? 
nobody could turn around to me or you or anybody watching this show this evening and say that Arsenal's season so far has been negative. No way. It's been overwhelmingly positive. No two. You can't look at where we are. Look at the look at the league table. Look at how well we're playing. Look at look at everything that's good about this team. We can all see it and feel it and experience it. And you know, I was over for the derby. It's amazing what's going on in the stadium. It's just unbelievable, right? But I think you can also talk about a game or a performance that's not at that level and say that wasn't good. We didn't play very well. Here's why. And that can be its own thing. It doesn't mean that you're being negative about the season or the club or the team or the manager or the players. You can just discuss this one thing and and um, and admit and acknowledge that it wasn't up to the standard. As, as Aaron Ramsdale, a man we all love, who spent some time winding up the Leeds fans to great <laughs> effect, he's the first to come out and say that we didn't play as well as we can, right? And we caused ourselves some problems. So if he can say it, I think it's fair enough for us to say it. What I would sort of slightly differentiate is like, I think there are a very small percentage of people who are just looking for any chink in the armor, if you like. Mm -hmm. So the minute anything goes wrong, they can they can just jump on that and stick the knife in a little bit because for a long time they've been um pursuing that kind of agenda if you like but again i think those people are in a very small minority and i also think that maybe sometimes you give them too much oxygen for their opinions and their um their utterances whatever platform they use to to use them you know it's just as easy for all of us to ignore those so i certainly saw some people being negative if you like about the performance yesterday and i understand it completely because i didn't think it was good either but that's all it was um so i i i, I don't mm. know about getting so caught up in the negative reaction to this because it's basically an anomaly this season that performance yesterday was an anomaly in premier league terms the game against bodo glimt the other time was horrendous as well it was like oh my god this is soul destroying watching this but you know it is what it is it's the third game in a europa league group stage it's not going to be the most exciting game but this was the exception this season not the norm like if we'd had eight of nine of those this season and one really good performance that'd be a different thing but that's not the case. So I think we need to just sort of slightly shake it all off and, and we get ready to go again this week. Yeah, and there may be more performances like that. They, yeah. And uh, who knows what's going to happen after the World Cup and mm. who, God forbid, anyone gets injured and, you know, as the season kicks in and that final act kicks in, uh, anything is possible and grinding out results and getting three points. You know, we saw... What happened last season? Take a few. Kev always says, "I'll take a few ugly George Graham one nil wins." For it sure, it means you know getting back in that in that top four. Let's uh, shift to a man who's become. We did a show with Tom Canton last week, Andrew on Gabrielle, mm -hmm. and a few people said to me and Tom, "You guys are going to really regret doing this show," and I'm you know pinning it to come back to it at some point in the season in terms of mistakes. 
you know, it's it's interesting how Gabriel and Saka and Martinelli can miss chances against Manchester United at Old Trafford. They mm. could have easily won us that game. Uh, but defensively, and the goalkeepers, when they make mistakes or they don't, um, you know, perform well, sure. they're the reason why we lose. I'd love to know your thoughts on Gabriel, what, where you stand with him. I felt yesterday... You know, like I said, the injustice part really got to him. I loved how Xhaka kind of came over and tried to calm him down. What was your take on Gabriel and that narrative? Is he becoming the new dartboard? I think a little bit, yeah. I think so. Um, like, I thought he, defensively yesterday, I thought he was outstanding. Hmm. He was certainly better than William Saliba. And I love William Saliba, don't get me wrong. I think he's been brilliant this season, but it was Saliba who gave the ball away when... Um, Aaron Ramsdale had to to save one with his with his testicles. Um, a painful, <laughs> a painful moment for him. Um, and I don't think he'll be thanking William Saliba for that. Uh, it was Saliba who conceded the penalty. Uh, and I know there was an offside thing, um, but you know, at the end of the day, Saliba conceded the penalty. Um, Gabriel, like I said, he blocked four shots. He made five tackles. He, he made a number of clearances and interceptions. He put his body on the line for the team from a defensive perspective. What I would say is, and I said this on the, the podcast we recorded yesterday, is that um, when something like that happens with Bamford, he he probably shouldn't retaliate the way he did, right? I think the ref got it spot on. Clearly, he was fouled first. But somebody maybe just needs to take him aside he's an emotional guy we know that and we know that when his when his dander is up you know he he can get a bit frisky is that the word you know um and i just think that, i i just think maybe Mikel arteta or one of the coaching staff just needs to say look when something like that happens try not to let the red mist come down just count to five count to ten whatever it is and just don't do that because I don't know that there would have been any decision given against us if he hadn't done that. Now, like I said, Bamford fouled him first. And then Bamford made the most of what was minimal contact uh, contact from Gabriel. But the best thing would have been no contact from Gabriel and the foul on him being completely obvious. The other thing to remember, Sophie, is he's 24. He's 24 years of age, which for a central defender, is still really young. Where was Van Dyke at 24? Was he at Celtic? He was playing for Celtic yeah, at 24, right. you know? Gabriel has started or played in the last 40-something Premier League games for Arsenal. And this is a team that's top of the league. And you don't top the league with central defenders who can't defend. I completely understand that he's had a few moments. He's had a few mistakes here and there but he's not alone in that you know even if people want to talk about the the penalty against um tottenham that he gave away there was also a mistake from granite shaka in that sequence of play that doesn't get mentioned because everyone loves granite now he's our mm -hmm. new favorite and, and saka gave the ball away previous to that you know so that's that's exactly it so i do think that perhaps his style makes him look a bit more clumsy than he actually is. But Mikel Arteta wants a left-footed central defender in his team. He's got one in Gabriel. Every defender is going to make mistakes. 
I don't quite understand why he is becoming the lightning rod for criticism at a time when we're top of the league. Only one team has conceded fewer goals than Arsenal in the Premier League this season, and that's uh, that's Newcastle, uh, which is a strange one. But, you know, the partnership between himself and William Saliba is really good. It was shaky yesterday, but it's been really good all season. And I feel maybe a little bit like we're trying to throw the baby out with the bathwater here with, with Gabriel. <laughs> um, I, I, you know, I think he can improve. I think he can do better. I think he can manage his his uh, emotional responses a little bit better. But I don't quite get the the relentless negativity that you know. To be fair, I saw on Twitter on my timeline when I talked about him. There were a lot of people, you know, suggesting that he needs to come out of the team, et cetera, et cetera. That's a decision for the manager. I'll I'll trust Mikel Arteta on this one. Just to riff off what what you said there with with regards to emotion, um, you know, I think a lot of us Arsenal fans, especially when I've done a show post game where I can mm. come in a, a little hot, we're emotional. That, sure. And I love that we now have a, a manager who talks about emotions and emotional, and he did that a lot in All or Nothing. Which, by the way, it was nice to hear your dulcet tones on that show. Thank you. Um, do you is that something to be afraid of though? When, when they, when things get hot, when there are big games, big moments, are you concerned about that? I love his passion, but is he too emotional, and is that translating to the team sometimes, and maybe to a player like Gabriel? Um, I mean, you have to find the balance, don't you? Because you need to be composed, you need to stay uh, concentrated, and and everything else. But at the same time, when you're when you have real desire to win the game, ambition to win the game, when it's all that matters. And I think I think this is something that's, I won't say particular to central defenders, but you see it quite often in central defenders. In a game like yesterday, you know, the job of keeping the opposition at bay, of making a tackle, winning a header, of, of throwing your body in the way of a shot the way he did when Sinistera had a clear side of goal and he got in the way, made a great block in the second half. You know, those are things that get you pumped up as a defender. You know, you really, you really want more of it in a in a sort of weird way. When a game is going like that as a defender, you're like, oh, give me more. I'll have more of this, you know. But I think the emotional aspect of of what Arteta wants from his team, like he does want passion and all of that kind of stuff. But at the same time, there's like a veneer of of sort of coolness, isn't there? From Arteta, like mm. you know, we know he's a passionate guy. Um, we know that much more now because of all or nothing. Um, and you can see his reaction on the on the sidelines this season. You know, when we win, um, you know, he went crazy yesterday on the sideline at the final whistle, which is amazing. And I just I maybe sometimes it'll go the wrong way, maybe sometimes it'll go a bit too far, but it comes from caring, it comes from a place of of passion, of wanting to do well. And when you consider some of the players that we've had in the not-too-distant past in this team for whom mm. it didn't really seem to matter one way or the other, they didn't care. Turn up, win, great. Lose, who cares? You know the guys I'm talking about. You've <laughs> seen the characters. You've seen them. Everyone's seen them. So if you're asking me, would I prefer this or that, most definitely this, even if potentially it might go a bit overboard from time to time. I I was asked a question and um, 
because he talked a lot about we've got to learn from our mistakes, you know, last season, the season prior. Mm. And I fit, and my question was, I'd love for you to learn from your mistakes too. Uh, we're all human. We all learn from mistakes. We become, you know, better people. And what I think in terms of what you're saying too is, I think he's learned from last season and he's learned from the Klopp moment, you know, on the sideline going toe to toe with, you know, a, a winning manager, more experienced manager in his house. I, I think that he's learned from that. I think he's learned from, you know, I'm not going to put square pegs in round holes and play Jacker at left back. I'm going to get players who are versatile, but are experts mm -hmm. who can play in various positions. You know, I I think I see a different, even though he's emotional, he can be ice cold too. And we've seen that. Do you feel, do you feel like the way we've started like actually tanking last season, which some people would say is unfair, but when we were in this improbable situation, Andrew, we mm. couldn't close. We couldn't close the deal. We did, we did fail. If you look at it from that point of view. It's amazing to me how they've bounced back from that adversity. And I think he's the he's the one that's learned the most from that. Maybe so. I mean, his whole his whole career here has been a learning curve, hasn't it? You know, I mean, think about the mess that Arsenal was in when he arrived. You know, and I, I we don't need to have the whole discussion again, you know, about what's yeah, happened yeah. in the last two and a half years. We don't need to, but I think you can now look back and say when he took over arsenal it's a very different club it is a very very different club for all kinds of reasons and we've talked about them you know on the podcast and on the show before and everything else and the one thing you would say about Mikel arteta you know whether you you know you were warm to him or not warm to him at the start or whatever it was there were okay two things you would say one what he what he said he wanted and what he wanted to deliver that was something i think everybody could get behind because he wanted to raise standards he wanted to bring the club back to where he felt it should be right you know as someone who captained the club who played for the club who played champions league for the club and all the rest of it and maybe didn't play for arsenal in its most successful era but still understood you know what was at the heart of what we wanted to do I don't know how anybody could not want to get behind that, what he said he wanted to do and what he said he wanted to deliver. Took him time and we're still we're still going. But the other thing is that he's a very intelligent man. He's a very intelligent man. And I think that has been part of the process for him to use that word is to is to look at what's going on and look at um what's gone well and what didn't go well and what worked and what didn't work and make plans accordingly and it's hard not to think that the last sort of 12 18 months in uh, you know what, what we've done from a recruitment point of view the kinds of players we've brought in the kinds of characters in particular that we've brought in for the most part have been absolutely informed by some of the things that didn't go well for Mikel Arteta during his time when when we weren't playing good football when results weren't good enough and he would be the first to acknowledge that as well. So his entire Arsenal career, given that it's his first job, he is learning all the time. He's learning all the time. And I think if we were here now and we were treading water and we were doing the same things poorly that we were doing poorly two years ago, you'd be saying, okay, this is not going in the right direction. But 
things have changed. Things are different. Players are different. The team is different. The way we play is different. And where we are in the league table is certainly different. So it's it's just, it seems normal to me that he would learn as he goes. Um, and we're seeing the benefit of that. So I hope he keeps learning um, all the way to May. And, uh, <laughs> I'm really excited. I just said it out loud. No, I'm joking. I was gonna, but, you know. I was gonna save that one for the end, but uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, we can, we can dream. Um, wanted no. to, because the mentality is so different. I mean, it just is. I think, mm. I think the one th I was critical of him in his first two seasons, and what I've been most impressed with is the mentality of this team. We were so mentally impotent for years. You know, yeah, we won four FA Cups in our darkest days, but we were a cup team more than a Premier League team. Mm -hmm. It seems for the first time in a long time, if you're looking at your crystal football as well, and we don't know yet, but that we may be able to just stay mentally engaged for these 38 games. How pissed off are you that this World Cup is sandwiched in between the seasons? Oh, uh, it's going to be so weird, isn't it? Because right now you just want things to keep going when you're playing as well as we're playing. It's sort of like when there's an international break comes along and you're you're in good form and you're flying and then you've got a two-week break and a couple of players get injured and you lose your momentum. It might well be might well be like that. But the, the thing about it is everyone has to deal with it. Everybody has to uh, contend with that situation. Um I think your point about mentality is really interesting, though, because it's not something you can measure. It's not tangible. You know, you can't sort of say we're at, you know, 98% mentality, whatever it is. But you can see it when it's there, and you know when it's not there as well. You know when it's missing. I saw some comments last week or maybe a couple, a couple of weeks ago from Aaron Ramsdale when he referenced the end of last season and the fact that we couldn't get over the line. Mm -hmm. We ran out of steam didn't have the the squad depth to deal with the situation that we found ourselves in um and he said that they're hugely motivated by the pain of that that there is a fire inside them big words you know um, big words bob seeger song uh, but you know <laughs> it still it still tells you what they're feeling about this because you know the end of the end of last season was painful but you sometimes you need pain you need things to go wrong in order to push yourself to a different level and i've i've used this analogy before but i don't think arsenal go unbeaten in 2003 2004 if we don't let the end of the two, uh, 2002 2003 season slip away from us mm -hmm. and Manchester United pip us to the league title. I don't know that we go unbeaten the next season without that. So, I mean, I can't say for sure, right? Nobody can prove it, but I think that hurt. I remember how much that hurt as a fan. Yes. How much must it have hurt for those players? So, yeah. you know, I, I, I do think that sometimes as hard as it is to go through difficult times, there are benefits down the line. And I think that's kind of what we're seeing this season is that they, they felt that pain and they don't like it. They don't want to do it again. They don't want to be in that scenario again, where, you know, in the last couple of games of the season, everything that you've been dreaming of just crumbles and disappears. 
And I'm not saying we're going to go all the way to the title or anything like it, but you know, if we're comfortably in the top four, come the end of, come the end of March slash April, I think everybody will be, everybody should be pretty happy with that because that's the kind of progress that we've been looking to see. And that tells you that they're capable of responding to the setback that they had at the end of last season. So yeah. it's, I, it's, it all works that way. I think. I totally agree with you. And I think it's probably the best thing that ever happened to this team and, you know, so young as well, but learn learning so much. And then when you add Jesus and Zinchenko into the mix, who have won everything mm. um, and they take that kind of mentality of evolution to another level, one of the things that I think is always that, that you've always been able to pick the most important player in an Arsenal team. Mm. Wenger towards the end, you, you know, even with Emery, the beginning of Arteta, it was evident Aubameyang was our best player. Do you find it hard? I don't know what you and James talk about. Um, I think you may have talked about this a, a, a couple of months ago, but you, or it might have been an article that I read on your on your site. I find it hard to pick who our most important player is mm. now. Would you agree or, or disagree with that? I would agree. I mean, I think there are a couple of positions in the team where we don't necessarily have quite the depth that we might like but we're not a one-man band anymore no way this is a this is a proper team this is a proper squad you know there are just quality players all through the all through the the team and you know you're not necessarily looking for one guy or two guys to carry you um we're not as reliant on one guy or two guys as, you know, maybe another team in the Premier League who's not too far away from us in North London are. Like if, if you know, something happened to their two up front, they're toast. You know, you know that. Whereas you feel like maybe with Arsenal, we're better better able to um, to deal with, with something like that. Um, and I think that's probably the right way. I think over the course of the season, we'll probably see one or two players come to the fore and make the kind of contribution, which inevitably happens during a season. You know, one or two guys will really, you know, fire in the goals or make the assists. You know, when you think about, you know, even someone like Freddie Jumberg going into that that first the uh, the two thousand and two double. You know, the goals that he scored. Um, he just sort yep. of came to the fore right at the end. You know, those players who can hit a bit of form and, and bring you in, but you couldn't necessarily pinpoint that player. But, like, I was, I'm sitting here thinking about it as we're talking. I'm going, well, you could talk about Saka, actually, who's been, like, amazing. He's been – and then I was going, yeah, but you could also talk about Martinelli, who's been fantastic as well. Gabriel Jesus – well, yeah, you'd have to mention Gabriel Jesus. Uh, and then you're going back and, and you're thinking of Odegaard, Guy. you're thinking of Shaki, you're thinking of Saliba, you, you know, you're, you're thinking Ben White at right back, who I I think has been unbelievably good this season. I think Ben White has been up there with our most consistent players. And a guy, you know, who last season got pelters in the media because he had one poor game on his, it wasn't even that poor, you know, it was a poor Arsenal performance against Brentford. But I think he's been brilliant, absolutely brilliant. 
So you can go right through this team and and say, oh yeah, well maybe it's maybe it's him. But as soon as you think about somebody, you're thinking about somebody else. And I think that that sort of collective um, similarity and quality is really positive, really positive. Mm-hmm. Um, if a superstar emerges, as may well do with Bukayo Saka or Martinelli, or yeah, here we go again, you know, it's it's just fantastic. It really is, you know, the the fact that the so many of these players are really likable as well. You know, they're good characters. They're they seem to get what they're trying to do. Um, nobody is nobody's the big I am I am as mm-hmm. my uh, dear departed mother used to say. Um, <laughs> you know, there is something very grounded and humble about the squad. And when you think about the quality of some of the players, it's um, yeah, it's a real testament to them and a testament to the manager and the coaching staff for you know keeping feet on the ground and uh, following this sort of game by game mantra that they've been talking about for the last little while. Yeah, the culture, the new culture, and the play, yeah. player profile and DNA is um, is just something I think we've all fallen in love with. And you go into the armory or online, and you're ordering a shirt, and for young fans especially, they're you know, they don't quite know what player's name to get on the back of the shirt. And that yeah. hasn't happened in a long, long time. Are you all right to just stick around for a few more to answer some sure. questions? Yeah, Maybe. no problem. Because I saw a comment come up and I'm like, I have to ask Andrew, is this a fact or a myth? Because I thought he was dreadful yesterday. We reliant on what I would say is I think that is one of the positions where we don't necessarily have the depth, the redundancy. Um. I don't think anybody was particularly good yesterday. Um, but I think when we've played really well this season, he's often been, you know, a key part of that as well. I just think maybe right now, if the, if the obvious replacement is, is Sambi, I think the gulf is a little bit too big between those two players to do that role. You know, I think Sambi's very tidy on the ball. Um, and I've been impressed at times with him this season in terms of what he's done in possession. I just think out of possession, reading of the game, his defensive awareness isn't quite um, isn't quite there. Um, <laughs> I was just reading that comment. Say hello to your uh, Mrs. For me, Mr. Meatloaf. Um, <laughs> yeah, look, I I, I think um, this is just me speculating wildly right now, but. I suspect that the January transfer window is going to be pretty important, not just for Arsenal, but for, for all the teams this season. But if we are, you know, there or thereabouts going, going into the world cup break. And I, you know, I feel like we will be, if we're close or top of the table going in there, the opportunity to do something in January is huge. It's huge. Won't be Douglas Louise mm-hmm. now, because he signed a new contract with Aston Villa. Um, but I wouldn't be at all surprised if in the January transfer window we spent some money on a central midfield player because that is an area where if Partey gets injured, as he has done every season since he got here, then we could be we could be impacted um, sufficiently for it to... to have a negative effect on the overall performances. And I do wonder if that's something that they want to address in the, in the January window. 
Well, let's get these January questions for you because there's a few. Here's Gunnar Ross. If we can sign a striker and a midfielder, who would you go for? And would you go for a big traditional centre forward, um, Um, I think I would still go for the central midfielder, to be honest. Um, The big traditional centre forward is an interesting one. I was talking about this earlier on one of our Patreon podcasts. And, I mean, the guy at West Ham, Skamaka, looks great fun. Yeah. Such a baddie by or about him in terms of how wild he is off target, but like a guy who's always involved. Um, I suppose there's this longing, isn't there, for for that kind of a striker when you see what Manchester City are doing. At the same time, though, Liverpool have brought in somebody like that and he looks just hilarious and not in a good way. <laughs> so I don't know. I, I, I don't know that we necessarily need the traditional center forward, but I'm open to any kind of strengthening of the team we can, we can get, you know. Do you, um, Guna works and a few of you, that was a few of you asked the January question. So I, I rounded it up. I put mm. yours up to Elliot. Um, Guna works and this, a lot of people are asking this one too. Do you realistically, realistically expect us to dip into the market? Mm. I have a feeling that the January market could be well overpriced because of the world cup and Arsenal won't be held to ransom. We saw that with, at uh, sure. the end of uh, the summer transfer. What's your take on that one? I, like I said, I, I, I think we probably will. Um, the fact is like the, the break comes on what, November the 12th or something like that. Mm-hmm. And we don't play again until December 26th. There's a lot of time to lay the groundwork for a, a signing in January, um, which will give us the sort of depth that we are going to need because let's not forget the was it the Everton game that was postponed because of um everything that went on with uh, with the Queen that game was postponed yep we were supposed to be playing Manchester City this week that was postponed so they could fit the PSV game in we're in the middle of a nine game month in October there's going to be another one I think it's in February and there might be another one on top of that because they're going to have to squeeze those other fixtures in if we go a few rounds into the FA Cup, if we stay in the EFL Cup, if we're still in the Europa League um, or going into the knockout stages of the Europa League, I think we would be mad if we didn't at least bring in one player in January. Um, And I, I think that this World Cup break maybe allows you to bring in a player of in inverted commas, summer quality, but you can do it mid-season because the whole season is going to be weird for everyone and you can you can probably um, take advantage of that a little bit. I do wonder as well, if wasn't there news last week or something breaking last week about how we've renewed our, renewed our deal with Adidas? Yes. New big money chunk coming in from Adidas for the next 10 years. I wonder about the timing of, of that deal before January, making us a little bit more liquid than we might ordinarily have been um, because there's an opportunity this season for Arsenal to do something. And last January, not only did we keep our powder dry, we got rid of a load of players who might actually have been vaguely useful towards the end of the season. And I don't think they're going to make that mistake twice. Lots of questions for you about Emil Smith-Rowe. Do you think we're missing him? Do you you think Emil has... I, I hate to say it, he has a future at the club. I think the club believe in him. 
To me, yeah. he seems like if there's a player that maybe we'd cash in on if that had to be, it would it might be him just because of the what happened like last season. I don't know, Andrew. What's your take on Emil Smith Rowe? I mean, I think he's just had a really unfortunate period with with injury. Um and it's it's worrying, of course, when a player of his age is out with injury, but it's also not that uncommon for you know, a guy when he starts playing regularly at the age of 19 and plays 19, 20, when you get to 21, 22, you know, your body is developing still and, and maturing physically. So it's not unusual for a young player to, to go through some injury issues. I think the, the, you would say right now, we're not missing him, not in Premier League terms, but I would much rather have him than not because you know, Gabriel Martinelli, we're asking an awful lot of him. Maybe the injury to Richarlison opens the door for Martinelli to go to the World Cup. Um, you know, we have to be mindful of the burden that we're placing on him as well. I don't worry too much about his future if he can get himself fit. I think his fitness fitness is the only thing that will derail Emil Smith-Rowe's Arsenal career because the talent is there, the ability is there. You know, this is a guy who was our second highest goal scorer last season. I know that wasn't necessarily a high bar, but he still got into double figures, you know, at 21 years of age. He took the number 10 shirt and people said, you know what? When you've got that shirt, there's an expectation. You've got to deliver when you're wearing the number 10 for Arsenal. And he did. He did. And then, you know, obviously the injuries caught up with him a little bit. So I don't worry about... Emil Smith Rowe, the footballer. I worry about Emil Smith Rowe's uh, body. That doesn't sound too sexy, but it's that's not what I mean. I just mean I worry about oh, his physicality and, and the injuries and, and everything else. So if he can get on top of that, I, I think this this guy is going to be you know sensational for us. Yeah, it's the same. It's like you know because it's we have PTSD, don't we? DRB Wilshire. Yeah, you you see the talent. You know, he's just a beautiful footballer to watch. Um, and hopefully, you know, he comes back fitter and stronger. A lot of folks in chat saying it'll be like having a new signing when mm. he gets back and he'll benefit, of course, from the time off as well. Okay, so let's get you out on a couple of these. Uh, looking ahead to Thursday, um, Thibaut, would you play our strongest 11 against PSV? They're a lot different guys than... Uh, the old Norwegian team we faced, uh, mm. no disrespect to them. What would you do, Andrew, this Thursday? I wouldn't I wouldn't play our strongest team because we still have to deal with an away game against Southampton, but I you know, I wouldn't be surprised at all if there were some some first team players in that in that team against PSV because you know, we win it and it basically guarantees us uh top spot in the in in the table. Like we'd have twelve points uh psv would have seven um it's not mathematically impossible for them to overtake us but i don't really see it happening you know so mm -hmm. i think the fact that we're at home will mean that he can mix it up a little bit but don't be surprised for example to see saka starting to see maybe martinelli start and and maybe even Partey and jacka start um while he does maybe mix it up with someone like Fabio Vieira, Eddie Nketiah, um, you know, a few of those guys as well. Um, I think he'll mix it a bit, but I think it'll be stronger than people might like. Okay, I'll get you out on the big one, everyone okay. dying to know. So, K 
Can we win the Premier League? Yes, of course. Anyone can win the... Well, I say that loosely. Uh, will we? But when you see Liverpool get three points out of City, mm-hmm. maybe it was maybe Pep was responsible for yesterday, I don't know, but Pep wasn't responsible for Cancelo's... Um, it was Cancelo, right, who made the mm-hmm. mistake. Do you believe more? I came out of that game quietly and I was looking forward to talking to you today. I was like, I wonder what Andrew would think because I kind of came out of that game thinking... Maybe. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> Unlike you, I mean, I, I, I'm sort of beginning to dare to let myself get carried away a little bit with it, you know? Um, look, Manchester City have quality and depth and experience that we don't. Um, they also have a ridiculous center forward is <laughs> just I don't quite know what he's going to do in in the Premier League this season in terms of goals so I still make them the favorites for the league but I think what I've said over the over the years that I've been doing Ars blog is that if your team is competitive if it gives it its best shot, if you see a group of guys who are out there giving a hundred percent and and you come close and you don't quite get there, I don't think in this modern era you can judge that to be a failure in any way. And I think the and it might become more true, you know, when Newcastle start to really spend money, which they will. Newcastle won't have, with all due respect to Eddie Howe, they won't have an Eddie Howe in charge for um forever and ever like think about what manchester city had you know manchester city had a a mark hughes and then they started to upgrade with you know mancini and pellegrini and you know they end up with pep guardiola that's probably the way newcastle are going to go klopp's comments the other day were spot on you know the where newcastle's uh, sporting director said there's no ceiling for the football club of course there isn't they can spend whatever they want. Same with Manchester City. They're very good at dressing it up and making it look respectable, but we all know. We all know what's happening. We all know what's going on. And it's not to say that Arsenal haven't spent money. Of course we have. But redefining what success means in this Premier League era is maybe a, a, a longer conversation for another day. But right now, I'm happy to do what the players are doing and what the manager is doing and just going game by game. Because I think if you let yourself get carried away one way or the other, if you start to talk about the title after 10 games, you're probably going to end up feeling disappointed come May. But if we're there or thereabouts after 30 games, we'll come back on here and have another conversation about it. How about that? Okay. I like that. Because I said something maybe a little crazy, Andrew, um, a few weeks ago. and. People were kind of surprised because, yeah, I, as I said, I was a bit, a bit, I was very critical of Arteta. I said, if he wins the Premier League in this era, because all the things you just said, I completely agree mm. with, with the money and the bottomless pit that some teams have and have had. I put it up there as big as 89 in the Invincibles and maybe bigger because of the era that we live in it. Am I crazy? I don't think that's a crazy thing to say, to be honest. I really, I really don't, particularly when you look at the age profile of the team and, and everything else. 
I think if it if it if we did it this season, of course it's a big if, and I'm not saying we're going to, and you're not saying we're going to, but no, exactly. If, Thank you. If we did, it would be as defining a moment for this generation of Arsenal fans as '89 was for us when we were just young and enjoying football and 2004 and the invincibles was you know when we were a bit older you know there's a generation of of arsenal fans who've never seen us won the league so it would be as defining a moment for those fans as as those moments were for us and i think it would stand up to any kind of scrutiny as a title win when you look at who you're competing against you know not just manchester city but let's not forget chelsea who've spent you know 300 million pounds mm -hmm. whatever this season and we'll probably spend more and have spent billions during the you know the the tyrannical abramovich empire um you know all of those things would make it an incredible title win no two ways about it so i don't think it's a crazy thing to say that it's up there with those with with the best moments of of my arsenal supporting career or your arsenal supporting career let's face it it would be almost 20 years it's almost 20 years since we've won the title so why wouldn't it be an incredible thing so that's not crazy maybe you'd be crazy if you said we we will do it but that's not what you said so yeah thank you i do love playing the what if game uh and you've been fantastic <laughs> i hope you guys hit the like button on the way out you little knuckleheads because this has been an absolutely amazing show andrew thank you so much uh, for pleasure. coming on your zenith coin is in the mail and let everyone know if they've been living under a rock what you're doing where they can find you if you've got some stuff coming up that you want folks to know about uh, no we're just gonna we're just sort of in the 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 madness of this uh, month of mayhem with football all the time so we're doing everything that we always do over on the website and on the podcasts and and everything else so just arsblog.com you'll find everything there um, you know, men's team, the stuff Tim does for the women's team as well, the youth team, every bit of the football club is covered on the website. So um, download the app, visit the website. Um, that's it. That's it. Okay. Beautiful stuff, Andrew. Thank you, everyone. Thank you so much for joining. Take care, mate, and we'll talk football with you again soon. For sure. Au revoir. Mind the gap between the train and the platform. Please stand clear of the discussion doors. The next stop is Highbury Squad. The Highbury Squad is powered by Zenith Coins. Support the future, treasure the past. Official licensed partner of the Arsenal Football Club. Follow at Zenith Coins across all social platforms.